This event was recorded at the 2018 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Hello. Hi. That's what we like to see when authors enter the room, or here, pardon me. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival 2018, and the first day of the festival! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've all been at the bar already. Uh, <laughs> my name is Russell D. McLean. I'm a novelist, freelance editor, and recovering bookseller. Um, and today, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to two authors whose books back in those hazy book-selling days I'd have been delighted to see on my shelves and push on everybody I met. This is how good they are. Two powerful coming-of-age tales that provide nuanced and differing perspectives on how your perception of the world changes in the, oh dear, in the transition from childhood to adulthood. They are absolutely wonderful books. Um, our first author, um, is, uh, her debut novel is The Baghdad Clock. An instant bestseller from Baghdad to Dubai following its publication in 2016, where in the first few months of its release it went through three print runs and is now available in English for the very first time. And I should also add, is up for best first novel at this very festival. <laughs> it's the story of two girls who meet in an air raid shelter in 1991 and the novel charts their lives into adulthood as their friendship navigates first loves changing desire and all the pain of adolescence against the backdrop of a city that slowly disappears before them and a world punctuated by falling bombs. For us, it's an insider glimpse into a world we only really know from TV and media footage, and it's a beautifully magical, realist, coming-of-age novel from a hugely talented author. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the absolutely magnificent Shahad al-Rawi. Thank you. And I should add, whose name I have been told literally translates to storyteller, yeah. which, is, <laughs> <laughs> no, which is lovely. Thank you so much for this, Rachel. Uh, Thank you for your coming. Actually, <laughs> I feel uh, flattered here. Really, I like this city. Edinburgh mm. is a very uh, charming city. Yeah. Um, uh, I am Shahid Rawi. I was born in Baghdad, uh, 1986, 1 February. If someone curious about my zonetic sign, <laughs> 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 I think after this confession, I cannot. Uh, lie about my age in the future, <laughs> uh, please. Um, uh, the Big Daddy Clock was the first uh, novel that I wrote, so please uh, mm -hmm. uh, thank you for listening in advance. I will uh, read two pages of the uh, book. Book number one, <coughs> childhood, childhood of Obvious Things. Before she finished her story, I cut her off and got up from my seat. I went over to my mother and asked, Mama, why aren't my eyes green like Nadia's? When you grow up, you will be like her. I sat back down next to Nadia and told her, When I grow up, my eyes will be green. They are not going to change because your mother, her eyes aren't green. But I am taller than you. She strained, she strained up to her full side, height, and I stood beside her. And as I put my shoulder up against hers, I asked my mother, Who's taller? You are, her mother said. We sat back down on the ground. I began to like her. She began to like me. I told her about my grandmother's house far away, and she asked, why 
do you, why do you love your grandmother? Because I'm her daughter, I said. <laughs> she burst out laughing, not believing what I said, but not knowing what to say. When it was time to go to sleep, she lay beside me on the wreck we had brought uh, with us from home. Her mother helped take off her black shoes and her long white socks and then covered us both up. She dimmed the lantern and moved it farther away. Before I closed my eyes, I saw Nadia smiling as she slept. Her lips moved slowly I thought she were talking to herself, surprised. I moved close until my face was right in front of hers. I could see colorful phantoms moving around her foreign forehead. I had never seen anything like these vision, visions before. They appeared, disappeared, and then came back. I was seeing her dreams. This was the first time in my life I had entered someone's dreams. At the moment she began dreaming of me, she took me by the hand and flew with me high above the old houses of Baghdad. We kept rising, climbing higher and higher until, until we became as small as a piece that vanished into the air. On the second night, we arrived at the shelter with our families before the sun went down. Before going inside, we began playing together on the small staircase that led inside. I, I jumped down to the ground from the second step. Nadia went up and jumped from the third step. So I did the same. She stood on the edge of the fourth step and hesitated. She changed her mind and came back down, unable to jump from such a height. The boys who were playing near the door came over. They were up the stairs, one after the other, and began jumping down and laughing together. While this was going on, the siren began wailing. I did not like its sound. No one did. I took Nadia's hand and we hurried over to where our mothers were sitting. Her foot note over the big lantern on the floor in the middle of the shelter. Breaking the glass, oil flowed out onto the tile and the flame took a several big steps across the wet floor. We froze in the dark while the blaze of the light moved our shadows on the cement wall behind us. After a, after a while, we heard the intense pampered, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's difficult in English. Pompardment, yeah, pompardment that followed the siren. Violence, violence, explosion that came closer little by little and then began moving away once again. They approached and receded. The ground surged be beneath us like a flimsy rock. All this time, our mother keeps saying prayers and reciting surahs from the Quran. I was thinking about disappearing from this world. I got up and walked over to my mother in the darkness. 
Mama? Yes, my love. Do you know what I want from you? What do you want? I don't want to be here in this world. Before I return to my place, someone struck a match to light a cigarette. I saw my shadow dance on the wall. It grew bigger and spread over the ceiling of the shelter and then vanished. I stood still thinking about my shadow. Where did it go this time? How do our shadows disappear out of this life? Am I actually just a shadow of myself? My spirit lives in the shadow and it departs with it because it doesn't like being here in this world. I kept wishing someone would like another match so so that my shadow would come back and I could talk to it. I wanted to ask, how are you able to disappear so we no longer seeing you? But I remember that shadow don't have voices and I returned to my spot, slowly edging toward Nadia. It was so dark, I couldn't see her, but I knew she was there. The planes went away, fear departed with them, and then it was time to sleep. I stretched out on on our small wreck with its colorful lines. Nadia squeezed herself next to me and fell asleep. The cold ground note at our bones. My mother put a heavy blanket over our bodies and tucked and tucked it in our feet. Then I felt warm. I did I did not sleep that night either. That time either. That night either. I was watching Nadia's dreams. It is a fun ga- fun game to watch someone dreams when they are deep in sleep. In the morning, I told her about her dreams. She did not like that and said, how horrible, why you are spying on my dreams? Because I don't know how to dream. Many times in my life, I tried to copy her beautiful dreams and insert them into my own sleep, but I always felt I had to be content with the watching these dreams of hers. And when I found them upsetting, I would clean out her head and punish the things she didn't like. I go to know Nadia in the belly of this shelter that looked like a big concrete well, a dumb place for a fight against the war. Our fantasies flitted across the walls. We spent more than 29 nights in the shelter that January in 1991 when the Baghdad sky placed with the planes and rockets and during those long weeks we lived through fears cold and hunger sharing our hopes and dreams we did not know what at that time what was happening around us we didn't understand then what war what the war meant Thank you. <laughs> Magnificent. Thank you. It's a wonderful beginning to a novel, and you're going to love the rest Thank when, you, so when you do read it. Um, our second author tonight um, teaches English in South London. And was West London. West Lo- it says South on the oh, West, West London. London. No. <laughs> <laughs> I blame Google. <laughs> um, in West London. 
and was part of the Writer's Centre's Inspire scheme in 2014, I hope. Yes. <laughs> Your debut novel is called Hold. Yeah. Yes, good. Um, and it moves between Ghana and London, uh, following the lives of three very different girls whose worlds all intersect. There's Mary, who's young and still learning the rules of life, but the heart of the novel, I think, really belongs to Belinda, a girl who wants to follow the rules, and Amna, a girl who really wants to break them all as they form a tender and unusual friendship, but looming tragedies and revelations threaten to change how they understand the world around them. It is a wonderful novel that spans cultures, characters, perspectives, and with a touch of heartwarming humour that truly endears. Ladies and gentlemen, this one, I should also add, is also up for the first novel award, so I cannot play favourites. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the incredibly talented Michael Donkar. <laughs> For that very lovely and very warm introduction. Um, the extract I'm going to read from the novel is from fairly early on. So it's when Belinda, who's this very diligent house girl who lives in a, and works in a house in Kamasi, has just come over to London and is given this task of transforming naughty, wayward Amma into a better, more polite uh, version of Ghanaian femininity. Uh, and Belinda is uh, in her bedroom, in her new bedroom, and Nana. Amma's mother walks into Belinda's bedroom and decides that she wants to take Belinda out on a shopping trip. So that's all I think you need to know. The other thing that you need to know is that back in Ghana, Belinda has left um, another house girl friend who's called Mary, who's very young and very irrepressible and naughty. Um, and Belinda is thinking a lot about Mary uh, while she tries to settle into her new life in London. I think that's all you need to know. <laughs> Earlier that day, in Belinda's new bedroom, Nana picked through Belinda's belongings. Belinda looked on, tightly wrapping her fingers around her thumbs. Nana inspected each item, making disappointed noises in response to every T-shirt or pair of shorts. Nana started moaning about how she never got to have a girly-girly shopping time anymore. Nana talked to, about Belinda exploring her new ends, she thought they should do it quickly before the sticky weather broke. Nana promised they would have too much fun together. So they headed out for Marks and Spencer. Belinda walked just behind Nana as they made their way along noisy Brixton High Road. Flat, late summer heat hung from Belinda's shoulders. The sky was bored, the traffic was angry. Everything around them beeped or screamed. People on bikes turned around to swear at people in cars. Three striped white vans with swirling blue lights moaned. Buses bent round corners looking like sick caterpillars. Both Nana and Belinda were careful to avoid stubby black bins that choked on packets and bottles and that made Nana hiss, Lambeth Council, <laughs> like those words were bad kenke on her tongue. A tall man with wheels on his shoes sailed through it all peacefully. He overtook them until he became a thin, upright line between all of the bodies in the distance. There was no space, the road was too full, the pavement too narrow to hold all the people pushing along it. Nana marched on, pointing forward with two certain fingers, swinging her yellow handbag with the little LVs on it. Belinda tried to match the pace, but she kept nearly bumping into everyone because the surroundings pulled at her attention so much. 
On her left, outside a huge shop, Iceland, a group of children played silver drums that were like the buckets she had used when fetching water from the stream when the village pump wasn't working. The children's music was a wobbling sound that shimmered on the air. Two women with flopping hats stopped to dance in front of the band, wiggling their bottoms and holding their breasts. Near an even bigger store, Morley's, muscled men wearing small vests had arranged themselves in a circle. They casually held big guns made from coloured plastic, a joke of an army. They pressed their pretend weapons into the ground as though steadying themselves. A larger circle of girls formed around the men. The girls picked at the small jewels growing out of their belly buttons, touched the drawings on their arms, talked to the little dogs at their heels that bit at nothing. Every few seconds, one of the men pulled a trigger and water sprayed. The girls shouted like they were surprised. The dogs became furious and the men all shook hands. Nana muttered. Belinda wished she could make out the words, but Nana seemed to be trying hard to speak very quietly. Opposite Superdrug, Belinda tripped and landed on her knees. A girl in a red cap with a wad of leaflets in her hands helped Belinda back up. Through a giggle, the girl asked Belinda if she was okay. It took Belinda time to get to her feet and to understand what had been said because she was distracted by the picture on the leaflet a black baby with squeezed eyes and tears moistening dusty cheeks. The girl asked Nana to do something about saving children for only five pounds a month. Nana was not interested. Belinda knew what crowds were like. She had battled through New Tuffle. She had been in packs of brave pedestrians who ran across the crazy junction near Kwajokanin Street. But it was different when so many of the rushing faces of the crowd were white. Obviously, she had seen Abroni before, Leonardo DiCaprio and Julia Roberts in the magazines auntie left on the bathroom floor, the big men on the news, the silly young man in the zoo, the families at Heathrow. Belinda was familiar with the idea that their hair was weird, that their voices were weirder, like the sound ignored the mouth and came out through the nose. But here, they were even stranger. They seemed so determined or focused. Yes, their pale stares were very focused on something important. And they themselves were important too, with their heads up and shoulders square and faces on the edge of anger. They were certainly too important to notice her. But if, for a second, they did let their gazes drop on her, would they dislike what they saw? Would the sight of her bring more red to their faces? Stepping aside for a child who was held back by a stretchy leash surely meant for one of those yapping dogs, Belinda wondered if Nana had ever felt the same foolish fear of whites. She wondered how Nana had quieted it. Because how could you live here with that prickling fear? How could you breathe, think, do anything? Finally, they got to Marks and Spencer. As they passed through sliding doors, Belinda tried to find the source of the whining background music. Nana moved them on, drawn by various red signs. Belinda squinted hard in the, hot, squinted in the hard light. 
Rails of dresses divided the space, blocks of shifting pattern. Alongside those were tables of blouses, some folded, others slumping messily towards the ground. Women grabbed things from hangers, checked tags trailing from cuffs before tossing the things back. Younger girls, the daughters of these women, found everything funny and so kept laughing and showing tiny teeth held together by metal wires. Nana swung round and pressed a green top with only one sleeve against Belinda's chest, smoothing it down with firm strokes. Belinda held her breath as Nana screwed up her nose, dropped the top, then tried out a blue version. Nana didn't like that one either. They went on like that for a while, with Nana thrusting spotty, frilly, velvety things at Belinda. After what felt like ten minutes, with dampness collecting at the back of Belinda's knees, Belinda's eyes found the children's wear section ahead. It was marked out by a poster that hung down from the ceiling. In the poster, a mixed-race girl wore the stupidest of smiles. Many of the adverts here had mixed-race girls in them, Belinda had realised. After Nana ushered Belinda into a changing room, Belinda snorted because she knew exactly what Mary would want to do. Mary would want to tear the picture down, stamp on it and tell someone in charge that they should replace it with something much, much better. A nice photo of me. (laughs) (laughs) Belinda snorted again. The white cubicle around her was neat and tight. Her reflection in the mirror was still. The shopper's chatter had reduced to just a swishing in the background. There was nothing but that silly thought of Mary and coolness around her ankles. But then a hand poked through the curtain. It clutched three denim shirts. (laughs) I never usually enjoy going shopping, but I did this time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Um, I mean, uh, just to, to, let, to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have a small discussion up here about, about the books. Um, I should add that you'll notice there's an extra person on the end. This is Ali, um, who's a wonderful translator. Um, so just in case there are any, any issues, particularly with my accent, he, he may translate occasionally. Um, but And we'll open up to yourselves for questions at the end um, as well. And um, that, that, that'll be great. I'm sure you have tons of them. You look like a very smart bunch. But um, smarter than I am, anyway. Um, I just wanted to start with you both um, and just sort of ask you a question because the thing that I found that really linked both novels together for me was this kind of central friendship between two girls that, that was kind of their, who are essentially opposites to each other, I think, as well. And I just wondered um, um, to start... Sorry, to start with you, Shad, um, and I've lost my uh, question. Great. <laughs> Very prepared. Um, but... Um, I was just wondering if you could tell us more about your unnamed character, Nadia, and their sort of relationship. How did that evolve for you um, when you were writing the book? How did, where did you start from with them, and how did that change for you? How did you explore it? Um, if you can. Yeah. <laughs> how can I... Um, can you repeat? How can I... How could I... Sorry? How did you explore this relationship between these two uh, very different girls? Uh, yeah. Yes. The, it's, it's a life. Mm-hmm. It's no need for explore something. It's very obvious in life. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the difference. Um, always bring us the um, both to us a new ways to uh, think, a new ways to live uh, a different life. You mm-hmm. cannot 
go through a similarity. The, yeah. the problem in, in this world, that, um, the people cannot be very global. You have to be global when you, you have a friend um, that differs from you in a very little things to the bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's why, actually, I don't know, maybe because, uh, be before, because of uh, unconscious mind, it came that yeah. her uh, close friend is different to her. And that's mm -hmm. uh, amazing and charming in, in life. When you, when you get married to someone, he completes you. Well, how, how can mm -hmm. you uh, reach this perfectionist? You cannot reach the perfectionist without this diversity. But it was, it was very interesting to me. I thought that um, the narrator needed, yeah. Nad needed Nadia more, I think, than Nadia needed her. Yeah. Was this quite deliberate, uh, a deliberate choice that you made? Um, actually, um, um, it's this novel, I think, um, it's like a mirror. It's a re mm -hmm. reflection for your personality. Mm -hmm. So maybe you... Maybe it's depend on the re <laughs> reader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, uh, this is uh, actually um, when you read something, your uh, history, unconscious, your, your emotional... Um, mm -hmm. um, it's... it's uh, uh, being uh, with the, this procedure, so mm. you read yourself. So mm -hmm. I, I think, yeah, you, you get it because um, you have in your history uh, um, mm -hmm. a, a friend, a closer friend, you feel that he, he needs you more. Than <laughs> 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 I never expected to be on a psychologist's couch when I agreed to this. Actually, I personally my PhD in anthropology mm. for... Yeah. This idea of the mirror, was that something that you, you the, the, the book being a mirror to the reader, was that something very deliberate for Sorry, you? Sorry, can you repeat? The idea that you just gave me of the book being a mirror to the reader, yeah. was, that, was that something you deliberately did try and, and put in there? A, a mirror for the reader? A mirror. mirror. A mirror. Ah, Reflection, yeah. yes. Yeah, Sorry, that's the I, Scottish yeah. accent. <laughs> that's Scottish. It's very uh, royal accent, actually. <laughs> can, you, can you repeat it, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. So the, the idea of the, the novel reflecting the yeah. reader, that was a deliberate thing yeah. that you did. Yes. Yeah, actually because I, I wrote this novel with a very honest, yeah, I was very honest when I wrote it. I mm -hmm. was very emotional. I was uh, very, I, I wrote it with my unconscious mind. So when I wrote it, I didn't think. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> after, yeah, I didn't think mm -hmm. even. And uh, something like uh, something else, um, someone else, he, he wrote it for me, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Something from the sky. No, <laughs> this, is, uh, <laughs> this is too much. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to be spiritual yeah. because this is very spiritual city. Yeah. So I have to, <laughs> to do that. Yeah, no. Uh, when I wrote this novel, I was very honest. And honesty, when, mm. you, very, when you were very honest to write, uh, mm. anything is going to be like a mirror like a, a shadow of the river it's yeah. reflected you so this is a, yeah this is my this is a personal maybe um concept that i believe in it mm -hmm. yeah i mean because because it's interesting this idea of mm. uh the the personal and things like that and and very much and as i say both books have this this kind of central duo to them mm. i guess and, and Michael, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit about your characters, but I'm scared to know in case it <laughs> says something about me. Um, Tread carefully. But yes. <laughs> but um, I mean, there is a definite contrast, I think, between yeah. all three of the characters. Yeah. Was this 
did you always kind of envision these very strict lines that demarked the characters, at least in the, the first part of the book? Um, so I suppose when I started thinking about the novel, I mm-hmm. spent most time with Belinda and thinking about mm-hmm. what kind of person Belinda was. And I realised that if I had at the heart of this story uh, a very contained, quite conserved in, in all sorts of ways, quite quiet um, figure, that's not the most interesting thing to read 280 pages about. <laughs> so obviously she needed kind of forces around her that would antagonise and challenge and kind of enrich her being and her, the way that she looked at the world. Um, and so that's kind of where Amma came from in the first mm-hmm. place, because Belinda needed something to fight against, something that was going to make her re-evaluate her views and her kind of perspectives. Um, but I also wanted there to be a kind of figure that Belinda tried to control and was able to do that successfully sometimes, but not at other times, and that's sort of where Mary came from. Mm-hmm. So you've got Belinda at the heart of this novel, but with, with these two kind of quite contentious characters on either side of her, one who is definitely very opposed to her and who Belinda has to battle with quite hard, mm-hmm. and then another one who she battles with quite hard too, but there are moments when... Belinda sort of wins that battle, and that was quite an interesting challenge for me as a writer mm-hmm. to, to kind of wrestle with. So it's, it's that old thing that, that writers often have, I suppose, that conflict is, is character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think Belinda needed to have um, difficulties that she was grappling with in order for the plot to have a kind of urgency and, mm-hmm. and forward movement. I think it would have been quite a slow novel if she just continued through the, her life in this quite sort of plodding, obedient way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She also wouldn't have learnt very much. And it is a novel which I think at its heart is about different kinds of education and there are obviously mm-hmm. in the novel very clear scenes of schooling mm-hmm. um, so there's a bit where Belinda goes to school and learns about Macbeth for GCSE English and there's bits of Amma's A-level classes and those are about a formal kind of education mm-hmm. but there are other kinds of learning that happen in the novel and that learning happens through the dialogue between these three young women. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean they're both very character based which is what I love about them, why I really wanted to start there but um, as I say, they've, they've got this thing, but then there's certain little differences come through. You, you've, the, 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 the extract you read there is obviously very grounded. Um, we've, all, we've all been to Marks and Spencer's, I think, um, and, and had things thrown at us. Um, but, um, but it was one of the things that really interested me, Chad, when I read um, uh, The Baghdad Clock, was the element you mentioned, Gabrielle Garcia Marquette. Yeah. Um, and there's this element of magical realism that comes through, um, and you did a little bit of that in your reading there, yeah. with the, where she can see or she claims to be able to see Nadia's dreams. What 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 made you choose that kind of approach, that slightly fantastical approach? Was this was this something more unconscious being spoken to you again, or was it uh, the appeal? Yeah, you can depend yeah. too much <laughs> about my uh, unconscious. Yeah. No, yeah, because. Um, uh, it's it's a, it's a very personal issue that any writer he he writes maybe his personality first. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very dreamy person. I dream a lot. I cannot. I don't know how to uh, uh, to uh, release my these dreams. So mm-hmm. I release it by uh, this uh, this uh, novel. Mm-hmm. And after um, we need imagination mm-hmm. to to live the life well because. Uh, Imagination is the last attempt uh, to the people for the freedom. 
It's less attempt. So imagination, when you create a pot potential life that walk beside the reality life, that uh, bring for you um, um, that kind of uh, open uh, roads that can you uh, can lead you to the uh, to others. Mm -hmm. So it's a very um, uh, it's a very charming and and we use it. By the way, we use it. Uh, we used to have this uh, imagination and this uh, magic in our life. We dream. Mm -hmm. More than um, more than half on uh, maybe maybe eight uh, hours mm. every day you have a dreams and yeah. you 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 have a hope and uh, uh, the reality hope and you thinking about your future too much and you think uh, I don't know if you like me mm. I think about if what I what I if if I a tree what how can I treat with with this guy that he he, he like uh, stand beside mm. me. Mm. And just feeling the the things and uh, mm. the so sort of imagining the future. Kind yeah, of, so yes. imagine the future, imagine the reality in, a, in another word. It's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. So imagination is very uh, necessary in our life. Mm -hmm. So it's necessary and novel. Yeah. Do Do you think because the 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 characters are quite young, especially when you start writing about them as yeah. the narrator, do you think that then the imagination is something we lose as we get older, um, or we 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 pack away? Because I think. Mm. Nadia seems to lose her imagination to a degree, where the narrator that's right. doesn't. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, no, you know something. Um, um, the age doesn't depend on the, that. Mm -hmm. The the age of the soul depended on that. Right. Maybe your soul is too young, and you still dreamy, and so you still mm -hmm. have this uh, very. Um, we have a very. Um, Un, um, un, uh, understandable uh, concept about mature. Mm -hmm. To be mature is not stopping dreaming. <laughs> no, yeah. to be mature is not stopping laughing and uh, do uh, um, something uh, very uh, give you um, this um, make the w th make the life worth it more. Mm -hmm. Actually, we have a very um, I don't know bad uh, and uh, understandable. Uh, for this um, concept about, I'm sorry for I'm not fluent in English. I don't know if you <laughs> understand. But I'm trying to <laughs> to do my best. Yeah. So when I actually uh, to return to this uh, idea, um, um, when I actually uh, when Nadia is gro grow up, mm -hmm. uh, Nadia have a name, but mm -hmm. the taller doesn't have a name. Yes. So when you read, you feel the taller is you. Yes. So you have to be child mm -hmm. till the end of your life. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I've, I've <laughs> definitely been called a child to the end of my yeah. life. <laughs> I think all writers are, and I think this is it as well. Um, you know, and, and is that for, for yourself when it comes to, because you're obviously writing about characters who are quite different from yourself, mm. um, not just in terms of the fact that they're girls. Um, I, I, I mean, I assume you weren't a girl. Uh, you know, no, that's fine. Um, but just in, in terms of all that, do you think that writers need that kind of sense of empathy and imagination to really get to know other characters. Did you find difficulty in getting to know these people? Um, I didn't, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed the process of getting to know the characters because mm -hmm. it was an opportunity to kind of get away from myself, really, <laughs> and the sort of boring, mundane, day-to-day -day admin things that are constantly rushing through my mind sort of disappeared for the five mm -hmm. to eight hours or whatever every yeah. day when I sat down with these three girls and tried to imagine what they were thinking about the world. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I really enjoyed about kind of creating these characters is lots of the stuff that isn't actually in the novel. So 
sort of imagining these characters' backstories, imagining what might happen to them after the course of this novel was really, mm -hmm. really wonderful. Um, and I, I think that question of empathy mm. is something that writers are particularly good at. Mm. I think that we are sort of uniquely qualified to put ourselves in posi positions where we kind of feel sympathy and closeness to characters who are very different from ourselves, characters mm. who might have particularly different outlooks on the world, political ideologies and so on. I think that's the mark of a very good writer mm -hmm. when you can sort of distance yourself from your own experience and being and really authentically and convincingly become someone else. Yeah, um, yeah it's the best bit of the job, I think. <laughs> and I mean, it works really well, um, as I say, with both these things. But the, the, the thing, the other thing I kind of wanted to ask you was um, about the, the humour a little bit more that's in the mm. novel, because there's, when, the, without it's very difficult sometimes to discuss novels, as I'm sure you're all aware, having been to many of these events, without revealing endings. But there is a dark incident kind of towards the end of the novel. I mm -hmm. suppose it partially opens it, but we don't know what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was, was that the humour kind of a way of counter, counteracting that, or was it just the way that these, these characters would possibly be, I think? Because it comes very much from them. I think um, there are a number of reasons why they're sort of lightness mm -hmm. in this novel that is yeah. as you say kind of in all sorts of other ways quite sort of dark and, mm -hmm. and challenging one of the reasons why there's a lot of light in it is because i wanted to write a novel that uh, expressed some of the kind of particularly Ghanaian humor mm -hmm. that i have been surrounded with throughout my life uh, and Ghanaian humor i think is often very silly mm -hmm. um it's often like about quite ridiculous puns um, but it's, it's very much a core part of being Ghanaian. There's a sort of conservative, follow these rules aspect of Ghanaian identity, and then there's slightly anarchic bit as well. And I really wanted to make sure that that playful bit was present because it, it reflected what I, as I said, saw in my living room when I was growing up. It reflected what I saw when I went back to Ghana and were having kind of naughty conversations with taxi drivers where they'd sort of say quite outrageous things. It's very much a part of who Ghanaians are, I think to kind of make light of situations and to spot the absurdity in sort of seeming seriousness. That's a very kind of Ghanaian mm -hmm. approach. Um, and I think in terms of um, Amma's humour, so this kind of British Ghanaian teenager, I think that's just what teenagers are like. Yeah. I think they're really funny. I spend mm -hmm. my days with 11 to 18 year olds and the quickness of their minds and their ability to be able to undercut people and twist situations and kind of make something that seems quite boring, really quite a joyous experience just because of their magical way of looking at the world is extraordinary. So teenagers are, are cool. And yeah. I wanted the coolness <laughs> of teenagers to be very much yeah. at the heart of this novel. Yeah, I was just going to say, you don't have to appeal to the teenagers in the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, there's one, there's one. <laughs> right here at the front. <laughs> and beside him. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was quite, there was a very interesting thing, I think you, you said just a minute ago, and I was, I was just wondering about it as well, Chad, where he'd said that he knew the characters beyond what he'd written. Um, and as the book progresses here, there's a very interesting change in the last third of it where you talk a little bit about the way that l lives might have turned out where uh, she has this book of the future yeah, the book of that comes forward. And I just wondered, did you, did you have that sense as well, as much as all this came to you quite in, in quite a fluid way, did you have this sense of, of what the characters were up to, of, of hidden things perhaps that are not on the page? 
Um, um, were were there? Let me try and phrase this correctly. Yeah. <laughs> um, were there were there kind of aspects of the characters that never made it into the book, but that you knew had happened to them? I suppose. Um, and a reality, you uh, mean? Yeah, yes, I suppose, yeah. It's, it's not a reality. All the oh. characters here written mm. is the, what I wish to mm. live, what I wish, the people that I wish to uh, met them in, oh the, right. in, the, in the real mm -hmm. life, you know? And um, the future, you, you, you asked me about, about the future book, the mm. last... Uh, yes, the last, yeah. yes, because it doesn't tell you everything, yeah. but it gives you Yeah, glimpses. because, yeah, it's forbidden, mm -hmm. there is forbidden pages, because there is a bad, mm -hmm. um, a bad news. I don't want to, uh, to people that go through it, mm -hmm. and I don't want to, uh, the uh, tailor or the one who uh, read the future mm -hmm. to go through the sad news. You know, yeah. this is a, uh, this is a, happens in our life, but in another way, mm. when you just go through a very tough, uh, tough uh, um, moment, I you're gonna denial some uh, some reality, mm. yeah. and you said no, it, it doesn't happen, and I don't want to uh, remember this, and mm. that's what I did in in the novel. If you if you focus or um, on something that. I describe the war from the another point of view. Mm. I describe my history in a very nice way. I describe the the happiness, the love, the friendship that go under the skin of war to protect my my uh, history, mm. to protect my past. Because uh, if I remember my past, I don't like to remember my past in uh, all this uh, tough. Um, uh, hours and moments. Mm -hmm. I want to remember uh, in a clean way. Yeah. I, I want to just um, do a montage, I don't know, a montage, a, a mm -hmm. small montage on the um, characters and events and mm -hmm. I remember, uh, when I remember I have to be relaxed. So what mm -hmm. I did in the future book, mm -hmm. I just forbidden the readers to read the bad news because the bad is gonna be in the mm -hmm. past, so you don't have to get through this very yeah. bad things. So it's quite a hopeful approach, almost leaving out the, the sort of bad things that have happened. Is it kind of gives you hope to yeah to see you the know mm -hmm. the most important thing and the most beautiful thing that you go through the war and you go and uh, you you feel in love mm -hmm. and you go through the uh, scared and you feel that you have many dreams and hopes you have. I go through the toughest siege in the uh, modern history. Mm -hmm. I go through the toughest war in the universe. But I'm here now because I have dreams and hopes. And I'm in Dumbra now. I was in Baghdad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I was under rocks and under uh, Pomperetma. I don't know what it's called. It's very cold. <laughs> it's very hard to me. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to me. I was uh, under the under the under the breath of death. Mm -hmm. But I, I get lie because I have hopes and I have many many friends that I till now um, I don't want to meet them on an Instagram because I, because I want to remember them as a very. Um, and the child uh, frame that I put in my imagination. Mm -hmm. So uh, I want to describe the life that it's war, war, and everything, every uh, big problem that you uh, go through it in your life, uh, including war, is mm -hmm. the same that it's the same pain if you, someone um, hurts your heart. It's the same. Mm -hmm. 
it's the same. So uh, even when you go through a, a very tough, uh, tough pain, you can't just uh, um, uh, survive on the end. If you have mm -hmm. a hope, love, and mm -hmm. uh, and uh, dreams, <laughs> I believe in the dreams. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> and they're wonderful dreams. And it's one of the things I love about this book is you do know that there is darkness somewhere there, but as you say, there is. You have focused on the very positive side of who people are and th this idea of dreams and so forth and it's quite yesterday quite yesterday i went to the grave here beside the castle and when mm -hmm. i saw the the graves i feel life mm -hmm. and that's very uh, that that's very um uh, weird that these graves um protect the life history i feel the history in this uh, city is alive i can smell the history it's a, it's a still alive because of these graves mm -hmm. so it's related die and yeah. life and uh, die and and to be uh, alive it's it's related it's the same mm. but if you are good person mm -hmm. i'm a prophet now <laughs> <laughs> i already feel i've been accused of something <laughs> earlier <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> call me russell yeah. <laughs> yes that's true i discovered today as well that my name apparently means prophet uh, yeah my <laughs> name yeah. in arabic uh, yeah call yeah. me russell now yeah. call yes. me the same yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah it's amazing you're more of a russell than i am <laughs> thank you uh, <laughs> but it's i mean it is this kind of thing i think with fiction as i say we do have to and you've both dealt with sort of dark sides of things but but brought us through with hope which has been absolutely mm. wonderful and we discussed this a little bit with yours and I, as i say i don't want to talk too much because it will give away certain things that that will happen but it does do that very similar thing but one of the the other things that struck me with both books was the the strength of setting and the strength of time i suppose i mean because um Hold is set in 2002. It is, yes. Um, which for me was the year I graduated university. Huh. So um, I had a definite personal connection with the pop culture and the music. Um, but I did wonder whether you had a reason for choosing 2002 in particular. You're, yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. um, Not just because I'd like it. I'm very happy. Just for you. No, no. So in 2002, I was around the same age as mm -hmm. Amma and Belinda. So I was sort of on the cusp of adulthood, I was like 17, 18, and looking forward to all of those sort of exciting and terrifying things that are on, mm -hmm. uh, on Amma's mind. So kind of going to university and leaving home and kind of you know, spreading your wings a bit. So it's a, it's a very special year for me. Um, and it's a year when there was some excellent pop music. So this is the time of like Britney Spears and Skunk and Nancy and all of those fantastic, bizarrely like emotional mm. pop songs um, that I still listen to quite a lot mm. now. And I was talking to one of my friends about the kind of pop culture of that period the other day. We were talking about the, this sort of powerful sense of yearning that's in a lot of those songs. So lots of Justin Timberlake songs of that period. <laughs> <laughs> when you sort of listen to them quite fleetingly, they seem mm. like, oh, they're just sort of dancey songs. But there's a real sort of powerful sense of desire and need in them. And this novel is very much about different kinds of quite intense longing. So there's quite a nice, I thought, consonance between the music of the time mm. and, um, and, and what the characters were going through as well. And I suppose um, one, an another kind of quite principal reason for setting it in 2002 is because maybe slightly... Uh, I don't know, maybe it's a bit cowardly of me, but I didn't really want to write a novel where I'd have to spend lots of time 
sort of putting in stuff about social media and smartphones and about the kind of impact of technology. And yeah. there are some writers who write about that very brilliantly. And in fact, actually, I'm reading a novel by Hermione Hobie at the moment called Neon in Daylight, which is great, which is set in New York kind of around now. And the whole thing is very much driven by people looking at their phones and taking photos with their phones and sending messages on Instagram, blah, mm. blah, blah. And some writers are brilliantly equipped at sort of commenting on how kind of central technology is to our lives now. But I'm just not so interested in that at the moment. Perhaps I will be, but I'm not at the moment. And uh, so I wanted to put my novel, set my novel in the period where, you know, there wasn't going to be a whole chapter where Anna was feeling really upset about something, but she just went on Facebook and messaged things to all of her friends. I just didn't really want to do that. It makes mm-hmm. you sound terribly old-fashioned, but there you go. There you go. <laughs> because you know, uh, they will be van- the novel will be vanished with the timeline if you... Well, exactly. It, it dates. Yeah. It will date really quickly, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I suppose there's something food. quite, <laughs> there's something quite <laughs> nostalgic, maybe, yeah. about setting it in 2002. It was a similar time in some yeah. ways. <laughs> I, was gonna, I know I'm getting old when somebody's saying I feel nostalgic about 2002. That's really terrifying. Um, and also, your kids, if you got anything wrong, the kids at the, the school would, uh, would rip you apart. Absolutely. Because you would have ripped your teachers apart. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, this is it because you've you've gone even further back, of course, and for very good reasons to 1991. Um, was that was that something you had to think to remind yourself of the the world as it was back then? Was in 1991 the differences between between now and then? Did you feel you had with to the difference between 1991 and now? now? Yes. Did you did you feel you had to remind yourself of what the world? Yeah, you I, yes. I told you. I I tried to protect my uh, history yes. and my personal per- personal identity. Uh-huh. You know, uh, yeah. your personal identity came uh, actually from the old uh, events that you live inside, mm-hmm. and I don't want to. Uh, to uh, this abbreviation of our m- of my life because they have many abbreviation in my life they said um, there is a war on Iraq oh. uh, the, the occupation fair forces came to Iraq no I was in Iraq and I was in love mm-hmm. why you just den- denial me the, they just put me on the news Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, like a very short uh, news uh, uh, in the timeline. Okay, there is uh, uh, many rockets um, on uh, on the sky on, uh, in Baghdad. Okay, mm-hmm. wh- what about me? I was in Baghdad, uh, um, um, like um, dancing uh, beside the river. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I I usually have to play uh, football under mm-hmm. the uh, under the rockets. Mm-hmm. That's so very normal to us. Yeah. So it's about bringing the personal that perhaps we don't see. Yeah, because I want to tell news, our yeah. sto- story to the you know uh, to the uh, to the uh, to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody knows um, they they, f- they till now they saw Iraq a li- like an an country with the trouble and with war mm-hmm. and uh, forces mm-hmm. and there is not this is not true there is a ma- uh, there is a good life there uh, happened inside so I want to protect that and mm-hmm. I talk about my generation my yeah. generation we w- we were um, uh, through a, a siege that. Um, a uh, very toughest siege I told you like I told you uh, with the media siege of media siege on nobody uh, listened to uh, to our music nobody read our novels 
Nobody saw uh, my face. Is okay. I'm mm. beautiful. Why you don't you don't <laughs> like <laughs> perfect <laughs> picture? If I had you, nobody saw us. Nobody <laughs> hear us. Mm. They just heard the voices. Uh, the voice of war. The voice of um, died people. Okay, mm. you have to. But there is another life. You have to uh, focus on it mm. to know. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a very. Um, I came from a very historical city that. Um, Baghdad and um, uh, uh, and Babylon and it's a very historical uh, uh, culture. So you have to focus on this. Why mm. you just focus on the war and the blood and tears? Mm -hmm. No, there is another life uh, mm. uh, bes uh, walking beside the the bad life. Absolutely, it's about people and and their lives. And I think that's and that's for me what both books are. They're quite hopeful books about, and they're really about people and characters. And that's what I love. Reading and writing, R reading within writing is seeing these kinds of and stories. And uh, let me tell you something. Mm. Um, I I adore Goya uh, paint uh, paints. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if you if you look, uh, like Goya. You, if you know Goya, he's a uh, um, um, he's a very genius for me. He's a very mm. ge uh, genius painter. He used to uh, paint uh, for the very beautiful uh, girls, and uh, he used to p paint uh, for the lords and uh, this kind of um, uh, princess and prince. And after he changed uh, his mind suddenly, he started to paint his m night mirror. It's very horrible. It's a very uh, scare. Scar you, you feel scared when you see it. Mm. But I saw it as very beautiful and very um, meaningful. And why? Because this is perfectionist. He reached his perfectionist. He um, he just uh, paints the heaven that he uh, imagined, and he paints the hell, mm -hmm. L like like a Beethoven when he when he composed uh, uh, the uh, uh, number nine um, uh, music number nine I think the, the music of the sky is like a sound of the angels. And after when he started to compose the next, uh, her secretary she, she said, "Oh my God, this is horrible. This is very bad. Why you did this?" He said, "I need to express uh, my belly, my belly pain. I have a, pill, a pain in my belly, so I I need to compose something for it. So this mm -hmm. is a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. You have to be beautiful and and ugly mm -hmm. in the I same it's, time." It's really interesting. I think novelists are really kind of well attuned to that idea that the world needs to be presented in all of its fullness. That's why mm -hmm. the novel as a form is so kind of baggy and loose yeah. and messy. Exactly. Because it's our attempt as, as, as writers to show that the world can never be uniform in any way. And that that, in fact, is quite an undesirable state for there to be kind mm -hmm. of linearity between everything. Um, yeah, so I, I think that sort of looseness is a really important yeah. thing, particularly in these times when there's a real demand that everyone sort of has very clean cut ideas about yeah. things. And if you kind of fall out of line at any point, you're kind of immediately, you know, castigated. I think that sort of openness and accepting that's that things true. are that's multiple true. and plural yeah. is really important now. Yeah. And it's, and as I say, both novels, I should add, they're not loose novels. They're both very tight and wonderfully <laughs> constructed <laughs> novels. Too close, too yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, just, I've, I've, I've noticed we're, we're running through a little bit, and I know that um, somebody will probably have a burning question, um, I assume, about the, the novelists and the writers. Um, <laughs> so we do have, oh, yes, um, because we haven't needed our translator, but he's been there just in case. Um, so we now have uh, somebody with a microphone just going around. So if you do have a question, if you could uh, just raise your hand. 
and we have one here. We've got a limited amount of time, so if you can make your questions as quick as possible. Thank Hi, Shahad. This question is for you. I was in um, Baghdad in January 2004, just after Saddam Hussein was captured. Yeah. And I wondered if you were there then and what that time was like for you. Yeah, I was there. I was there. Um, and the first time, before I didn't saw any, um, um, you know, through the, uh, the siege that nobody from outside came to us. I didn't, so we didn't saw a foreign people. So I dreamed about, I, I was a, a very uh, uh, addicted to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> 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 so I, <laughs> I dreamed about, oh good my choice, God, yeah, choice. I want to see Nick and I want to see Nick. And after 2003, <laughs> I see Nick with the Marines, the costume. This wasn't the answer I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm sorry. I was there in 2004, but I want to explain 2004 and the first foreign people I, I, I saw them, I saw them with the, uh, as a soldier, mm. not I, as a human being. So I just um, disappointed, you know. I saw Nick with the Marines costume. This is, doesn't make a sense for me. So I was there. It was a very uh, tough uh, time because everything is changed. When, you, uh, when the control uh, ended, it, it was a you know, dictatorial ship. And we, when it's ended immediately, without a planning, planning, mm -hmm. without a plan, everything is, is just scrap. Yeah, it's everything is just destroyed. And, in, uh, and that's true. Everything is just destroyed. The first time I go to my school, under uh, this, uh, uh, in that time, 2004, I was 16 years old. I just saw everything is changed. Even my um, my teacher, she's scared. She gives the lecture very, uh, um, very in a, in a hurry, and she can she don't know her future. So everybody is uh, um, until now, uh, until now, the Baghdad is getting worse political. So uh, nothing it's happened, but everything is just getting worse, uh, unfortunately. But we hope that we mm -hmm. reach. You have the dreams for the future. But you I like assume. Baghdad? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I love Baghdad. I had a friend from Baghdad yeah. in Edinburgh, and I met up with him. I went to his mother's house, and I went to another friend's house from Newcastle. I met his wow. family there, and I spent some time there. But it was a bit like you were saying. Yeah. American helicopters were flying overhead, and car alarms were going off. Yeah. Very strange time. Yeah, it's very, it's very, it's very, yeah. we yeah. Throw, uh, yeah, we go through a very strong fears there. And we were uh, so young to, to see this uh, horrible war, to be honest. It's like you're saying, there were no other Western people there except for soldiers. I was working for a charity in the Kurdish region in the north. Yeah. But there was nobody else there. Yeah, mm -hmm. actually, yeah. Um, I, I, faced, uh, I faced the first uh, soldier. He came to uh, our school, and I was uh, very angry because I, I, very I was uh, very scared. I said, are you criminal? Because that was the, uh, the, first time, uh, the, the first time I talked to English, and this is the first, uh, unfortunately. After, love, <laughs> after I love you, I know I'm criminal. <laughs> this is a very <laughs> weird, actually. Yeah, he said, why you said that? I said, because you come to me with guns. And mm -hmm. I just dreamed to see uh, any uh, American guy with a phone, with a with a the what is called microphone. Yeah. Yeah. I want you to <laughs> sing me a song. Why you come come to, to to call me? And he said, Oh, that doesn't make a sense. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Things would have been so much simpler if they just How said disappointing the that he didn't give you a song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for a quick, yeah, we've got there in the front here. Yep, just one. Yep. <laughs> Hello, Shahed. Hello. My name is Ahmed from Kuwait. Uh, Hi, Ahmed. Yesterday, I just finished reading your novel. Yeah. And I went to my friends. I told them, uh, I think I'm in love. 
I admire your novel. Yeah. Uh, I've got a question for you. Yeah. How did you manage to uh, write the, the introduction? Because uh, I read the the Harb al Kalb Yeah. And it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That like, won the Arabic Prize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know yeah. why, but it was really boring. Yeah. And after I read your novel, like, how did you manage to do it? <laughs> um, you ask about the. I'm sorry. Um, you ask about the manage what? How did you manage to write the introduction? The introduction. Uh, okay. Okay. The introduction is unpredictable um, uh, introduction because I I um, I didn't like to be uh, you know I'm prepare the reader to accept the imagination that it comes with the re uh, reality uh, in the uh, inside the story. So how can I? Uh, put this uh, uh, in advance, I create this um, um, introduction with uh, uh, a cow a cow into her dream, a uh, military uh, uh, car come to into a dream. That, that was very weird in Arabic, by the way, mm -hmm. because they are very classic uh, for writing, to be honest. They are f very classic. It doesn't make a sense for them. What is this? They have to put a poetry, uh, put a something a very... Um, old saying and very heavy saying, what is this? This is a ridiculous for them. But that's exactly what I meant. The unpredictable introduction that after, when you when reading after, you just figure out that that make a sense that any imagination you're going to accept it because mm -hmm. you, uh, everything is just uh, uh, came from the beginner, beginning. Like uh, if you get married, uh, when you told your uh, wife, please, uh, every day I, I need you to, to, go to, uh, to come to me and say, uh, good morning, honey, because I'm going to upset. You um, put her in, um, in, uh, in this place that she cannot move the way. F this is the same. With the novel, and the introduction, make you accept all the imagination yeah. in the, uh, in the that's life. The thing. I think that's why yeah. introductions to novels are such important sort of aspects of the text because they're about establishing the rules of the world. It's giving the reader an understanding of, okay, for the next 300 pages, yeah. these are the kinds of things that you might encounter. Mm. And it also means that you can disrupt those expectations as well. So the reader might be reading along thinking, oh, I thought we were reading this kind of novel, and then the rug gets pulled out from yeah. underneath them. But you need to have some kind of opening gambit where you sort of say, yeah. well, this, yeah. is, this is the world that we're going to try and spend yeah. some time in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's quite a strange thing to have to end on a talk about introductions, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, which I think is actually quite lovely. <laughs> um, in many ways. We have slightly overrun, but we started a little later, so um, that's okay. But ladies and gentlemen, please join me in thanking Michael Donker and Shahad al Thank you. I will add very quickly that there will be signing at the main bookshop, and you should buy both of the books and yes, buy two buy, copies buy, buy, each. Buy, buy, buy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Good night. Bye, thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.